Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. So I picked up the book and started going through it, and things started to make sense. It's, it's really a textbook. It's not a book that you just read and, oh, what a great book, and you put on your bookshelf. It's, to me, it's something that you pull out and you refresh, and you, can, there's, there's, you have to answer questions in there. There's little quizzes. Um, it was awesome. So I consider it a light read, not only because it's easy to read, but as you read it, little light bulbs go off in your head. As a play on words. Yeah. <laughs> what is he just, yes. So anyway, I highly recommend that you that you crack open the book. I, I guarantee once you get into it and things start falling together, you won't be able to put it down. So Excellent. thanks. Thanks, John. Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, this here's what we're we're doing. We're saying, hey, give us fifteen minutes a day. And just we want to build uh, the foundation on, on this. We, we walk around as Christians, we go, oh, this word, the authority of God's word, this is the thing that, that we believe in. Yet as Christians, we struggle. We don't really know what this thing says, what the Bible says. So this is a, a, a great introduction to build a foundation and, and a framework for the Bible. So um, I want to really encourage you. And then any other testimonies, anybody who's, who's reading it and lights went on, I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. So the next 30 days or the next five Sundays, we're, we are preaching around this, the Word of God. Now, we preach every week, hopefully, around the Word of God, but we really want to kind of dig in on some things. Last week, we talked about it as written, and this week, sola scriptura. And I want to, I want to unpack that for you and, and what that really, really means. So let me, let me pray before we get going, because there's, there's a lot here. And, and uh, so, Father, I, I thank you for this time this morning, for your Word. God, your words that were written down, Lord, that are still alive today and active. Lord, still set us free. Still give us wisdom and guidance and direction, Lord. So, God, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Lord, give me wisdom as I speak. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Push me aside. And let us have eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What, what is this? Sola Scriptura. It's a, a Latin word, and it means this. Solo, or having the idea of alone. Ground, base. And the word Scriptura meaning writings, referring to the scriptures. It is this scripture alone. Scripture alone is authoritative for the faith and practice for all Christians, for you and me as believers in Christ. The Bible is complete. It's authoritative and true. There's no extra biblical words that are added on to this word. I'm not saying that God doesn't speak and that, that he doesn't, doesn't speak to you and I and that, that we speak things, but this is the authoritative word. This is, as I said last week, is what I stand on as a Christian, as a pastor, as a father, as a, a husband, as a man of God. I stand on the truth of this word. It is this word that guides my life. The other options are money, relationships, jobs, houses, 
cars, sex, drugs, rock and roll. I don't know. Pick it. But he, here's what I know. All of those things are fleeting and lead me astray. And the only thing that I found that, that keeps me grounded in a direction that has a chance of keeping me grounded, the reason my wife prays for me because she knows that I need the chance of staying grounded and directed is this word of God. The only way that I can continually love her the way that I'm supposed to is when I stand on this word. The only way that I can love and be the father that I'm supposed to be is by standing on this word of God. Other than that, and I know this is hard to believe, I'm a complete jerk. No, absolutely not. Was that you that said that? No. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is this word that I have to live my life by. It says this in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. From the infancy, you have known the Holy Scripture, which you're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ, in Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3. What, what, am I, what is he saying here? He's saying this. This, although it was written by man, was breathed through man, the breath of God. Now, this is where we get a little feedback. Can you hear? Is that, is that me or you guys hear that too? Keeps making noises over here. Okay. Um, th this word that, that we're talking about is the authoritative word of God, spoken by God, written by man. Now, let me, let me show you some things because this is the wrestlings that people have. Oh, it's just a book written by man. No, no, no. It's not a book written by man. It was written by man, but breathed through by God. What, let me give you a, an example. I sit at my, my wife sits at the computer and she writes these beautiful stories. She's an incredible writer, or more like it's she's on her phone, just using her thumbs. Okay, let's go with that one. On Instagram, you know, 500 miles an hour, her thumbs going. The, the, the writers of scriptures, the men who wrote the scriptures, are the computer or are the phone. The computer and the phone don't write the beautiful words that Chris writes. No more than the men who wrote were writing the words in this Bible. The Spirit of God breathed through men, and that's how we get the Word. I want to prove that to you today or show you today what that might look like. See, is the Bible truly the Word of God? There are these internal evidences through the unity of the Bible. And, and it, it, think about this. I cannot, in, in my life, I cannot get my five kids and, and other people that are running my house to agree upon anything. Does anybody have that problem? I cannot tell one of my kids a message and tell them to tell the rest of them, hey, at 5 o'clock we're, we're meeting back at our house and we're going to have a chicken dinner and it's just going to be family and we're going to just spend some family time talking. If I relay that to one person, by the time it gets to the fifth person, what it looks like is this. Dad said you can go have dinner wherever you want. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I have to literally, each one, be very specific, time, place, no friends or friends, whichever we decide that day. There's this, and, and yet I have this book here. The 66 individual books that were written on three continents, three different languages. Think about this three continents, three different languages, over a period of approximately 2,000 years, by more than 36 authors. 
This Bible, written by more than 36 authors over 2,000 years, and the Bible remains unified and without contradiction. This book has stood the test of time. It is written by all these people. I can't get dinner together with six people. Yet 66 authors wrote a book that is completely congruent, that is beautiful, that's woven together. One of the reasons that this is so important to, 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 to read this book is, is that, you know, it, it tells you that the first, you know, uh, 13 books of the Bible are, are historical books, and then it goes into prophetical books, and then it goes, in, or it goes into um, uh, poetical books, and then pro- prophetical books. So it gives you this roadmap for the Bible. Nice catch. Um, but it is amazing to me how this Bible has, it comes together and speaks truth and brings great unity. Number two, the prophecies. When you look at the Bible... There's all these prophetic words that are spoken, again, by 66 different authors over some 2,000 periods. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus, not just random, not just, just, uh, just vague, broad prophecies about Jesus, but where Jesus would be born. What it, his, his death, burial, and resurrection, the uprising that would cause. The fulfillment of these prophecies in this Bible is of divine origin. And not only are there there prophecies about Jesus' life, but there's prophecies about what God is doing and has done. And we can show you with accuracy that it wasn't a guesstimate, but to a T, that these prophetic words have come to life. Is God's true word truly reliable? Number three, authority and power. Here's what you can't deny. You can go and you can pick apart things and you can say things like, ah, written by 66, there's all these inconsistent, there's all that, you can say all these things. But here's what you cannot argue. You can't argue with my life changed because of this word. There's no way you can say that's not true to me or to anyone whose life has been changed by the truth of this word. There's no way you can say that Jesus isn't real to you. It's not subjective. This Bible unlocks my life. This Bible gives me hope. This Bible allows me to be sustained. This Bible gives me that that direction that only God can give. And no one can say, not an atheist, not a there's no one can say, no, that's not true. There's an authority and power that comes forth out of this word, that when I digest it, when I eat it, when I read it, when I, when I hold it, when I taste it, when I live in this thing, my life is completely different. And I, I'm telling you so much so that she can tell when I've eaten this, when I've read this, and she can tell when I haven't. True? You should be able to tell. Because this book, the Bible changes my life. It changes my life. Is the Bible truly God's word? There's external evidence. Because the Bible is a historical event, it's a historical event, its truthfulness and accuracy are subject to verification like any other historical document. You have to have uh, uh, truth has to lie in the validity of this. Through both archaeological evidence and other writings, the historical accounts of the Bible have been proven time and time again as accurate and true. We have over 5,600 manuscripts, Greek manuscripts, of this Bible. 
5,600. The next closest is Homer's Iliad, which is around 8-something, eight 800-and-something. See, so the reality is this. You'd have to take Plato, Aristotle, Caesar, and Homer and throw all their writings out the window if you don't believe that this is true. Why? Because we have four or five times and more the historical evidence from manuscripts that we do for the Bible than we do all these writings. So you can't pick and choose. You can't say, because I don't like the Bible, I'm not going to take the manuscript evidence out of the Bible, but I'm going to choose what Plato, Aristotle, and everybody else said. You can't take the historical and throw it out. There's archaeological evidence. How do you tell if a book is true? You have archaeological evidence that, that we have found. There's internal consistency, which we talked about through this word. Why is this important? Some of you are going, God, I didn't come to church, get a lecture on why the Bible and the facts of the Bible. You know why? Because the reality is this. We're saying my life is guided by this word. Therefore, I, I should have some understanding of what it means, of its validity, that it's true. Because here's what Jesus said. He said the storm's coming. He didn't say if the storm's coming. He said the storm is coming in your life. If it hasn't already hit you, it's going to hit you. Get ready. What do we always say? Either coming in, coming out, or praying that it never comes. Good luck. When the storm hits, if I don't truly believe this Bible is what he says it is, if I don't truly believe Jesus is who he says he is, the storm gets real difficult. But if I understand what this word says, there's a hope that I can stand on. Integrity of its authors. It's an interesting one. Why is the Bible true? The integrity of the human authors. God used men from many walks of life. Doctors, carpenters, lawyers, all just different types of life. In the study of the lives of these men, we find them to be honest and sincere. Now, here's the interesting thing. The majority of the men who wrote this Bible, the majority of the men who wrote this Bible died excruciating deaths because they wrote and would not reject the words that they wrote. They would not reject Jesus. So they literally died. Now think about this. If you made something up, if you had a big story that you made up and you thought it was a great story, but you made it up and they came to you and they said, okay, you made up a story. I get it. That's great. Okay. But if you don't recant what you said, we're going to kill you. How many people are going to stand on what they wrote? So it's about the time I go, yeah, just kidding. Not really true. This whole Jesus thing, he didn't resurrect, you know? Miracles? No, there's no miracles. The only miracle is your gun leaving my head and me living. People don't die for lies. They, they, they die for truths. And all the men who wrote this, the men who wrote this, the majority of them died excruciating deaths. Uh, the indestructibility. This is an interesting one to me. Why is the Bible true? For 2,000 years, men and women, nations, emperors, dictators, atheists and agnostics have tried to prove or disprove the Bible is, is real and true. Throughout time, it has stood the test in time, and, and great men have come and gone, and the Bible has stood true. The Bible has stood true. They've tried to eliminate the Bible completely out of societies. 
They've burned them. They've, they've thrown them away. They've done everything you can imagine. And yet today, it is still the, the, the foundation of over 2 billion people in the world, the Word of God. So what about the contradictions? Let me, let me start here. Uh, everybody says, oh, the Bible. It's, there's, there's con- anybody ever hear that one? Is anybody ever? Let me ask. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I might not be able to even help you. Someone give me one contradiction. Yes. And the answer to that was? Of the of actual, you took a rib. Now here, here's what's interesting, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna address that. Everybody says ah, the, the Bible's full of contradictions. You know what the first thing that I say to people who say the Bible's first full of contradictions? That very thing. Give me one of them. I have yet to hear anybody tell me about the Greek rib, <laughs> but I like that one. That's why that's a lot of you got a lot of time on it. My, my point is this. <laughs> my point is not, most people who say they're, they're contradictions are not Christians that are, are looking. Most people have no idea what a contradiction in the word is. They go, oh, the Bible is full, full of contradictions. And I go, give me one. And they go, oh, uh, you know, Jesus says uh, an eye for an eye, you know. They, they have no clue the context of what he's talking about. The Bible's full of contradictions. Really? Well, let, let me address some of that. There's, there's four main uh, thoughts around the contradiction of the Bible. One is what you said, transcript problems. The translation of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, if we take everything back, and I try, and I'm not great at it because I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, but I have all the, all the Greek and Hebrew that I try to read through when I'm going through a text. If you go back to the original text of what was written, yes, there's some things that don't, just like the English language and the Spanish language, whatever language doesn't naturally flow the way that you would like it to. There's some mistranslations that happen there. Absolutely. But when you go to the original text, you can clear those up. Words or phrases have been taken out of context. Happens all the time. They hear one thing. One of the biggest ones, I think I preached on it about a year ago, was that, that God never gives you more than you can handle. Do you know that's nowhere in the Bible? There's nowhere in the Bible that says God can't give you more than you can handle. In fact, what the Bible says is this, God gives you more than you can handle. It does. You know why? Because if God never gave you, if he said, look, I'm never going to give you more than you can handle, then who handles it? You do. And you rely on who? You. And God goes, no, 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 I'm going to give you more than you can handle. You know why? So that you'll press into me. So that you'll know me. You know, that, that, the marriage that is in just knots, he says, press into me. Maybe you're part of the problem. Maybe he is, but maybe you are too. He says that, 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 that finances that are all tied in knots, he said, press into me. Maybe you're part of the problem, but maybe not. But he says this, I'm sufficient. And, and people take that out of context all the time. Turn the other cheek. 
you know, the, the murder and kill. I just got in this conversation about, you know, the Bible says you can murder. No, there's, there's the, it says do not murder. The killing is, is when we look at the context, Old Testament and New, uh, uh, and, and what we see in, even in our nation is the death penalty. That's killing. Murder is stepping into someone's house and, and knocking them off for whatever reason. Two totally different, and that's out of context when we look at it. Uh, no, the third one, a number of perceived contradictions are merely erroneous inferences. Uh, people always take their, their worldviews and they place it into God's word and they say, oh, well, that, this is what he really meant or this is what I've experienced. And, and it's completely out, out of context and, and the inferences that they make are, are, are not true or even logical at times. And lastly, many of the problems, this is what I find most of the time, are not logical problems for the Bible. They're simply sin problems for the critic. What do I mean by that? This Bible's a mirror. And, and when I look at it in the mirror, it tells me about me. And sometimes I don't like what it says about me. This Bible is offensive. If you read this Bible long enough, you will be offended because it'll offend your every inner being, selfish self, time and time again. This Bible will offend your every self-preservation that you hold on to. It will tell you you're selfish. It will tell you you're a sinner. It will tell you that, that you're a jerk. And you know what the world tells you? Oh, you're not a sinner. Oh, you know, you're a, you're a great person. Everyone's a good person. Really? Look, th this whole lie of, 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 of you know... Gosh, he's just a good person. Is exactly that a lie? Romans 3 says there's no one good. No one is righteous, not even one. And even when I say that right now, there are people that go, oh, what do you mean there's no one righteous, not even one? Look, the reality is this. If I could pull back the veil from every one of your lives in my life, including me, every one of us, and expose who we are apart from God's grace, there is no one good, no one righteous, not even one. It's offensive. It's, this word's offensive. And sometimes I want to throw it. And sometimes I want to kick it. And sometimes I want to walk away from it. And sometimes I don't want, many times I don't want to read it. And many times I don't read it. Because it offends my very inner being. It offends my selfish nature. It's the reason that I struggle to say I'm sorry to a woman I love more than anybody. Other than Jesus. It's the reason I don't say sorry to the one who I love most. Jesus. Because there's this pride, this, this thing inside of me. And the Bible is a mirror that shows me who I am. When talking to people and the whole contradiction thing, it says this in 1 Peter, but in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always having an answer from this word. Now, this is what I've, I've realized. I don't always have an answer. But here's what I know. When someone asks me something or, or there's a contradiction that I can't explain right there, right now, I go, you know what? Let me get back to you on that. And I usually go to the, you know, I'm just a stupid hockey player, so I don't have a great grasp of this. You know, go with that card if you want. Um, I don't know. But, but here's what I find. People, when you're humble, and you're not self-righteous, I got all the answers, and you're going to hell. You know, that guy, if you're not that guy, if you actually have grace and love for people, 
that they give you grace to go back and go, let me, let me look at some of these things? That's a great question. I never thought about that as a contradiction. Let me just kind of look at context. Let me look at some Hebrew Greek. Let me call someone who knows that. But having an answer is, is the ability to have love or loving someone enough to go, gosh, let's, let's wrestle through that and see what it really, really says. That's what we need to do. Well, the last thing, it's, it's time-tested. It's, it's, it's time, the Bible is time-tested. It has lasted through the ages. And, and, and Mark says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. All these things will come and go. You will come and go, but the word of God will stand. The question is, where are you going to stand? Where am I going to stand? If the Bible is truly the word of God, then the implication, implications are so profound and far-reaching that every part of our lives should be affected. If this is really true, if everything that I just said is true, if this is truly God's breathed words, wouldn't you think our lives should be a little bit different? Yes or no? Wouldn't you think as, as a church in America, as Christians in America, we'd be so much more of a, just kinder? That would seem to make sense. Wouldn't you think is, if, 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 I, if I really believe this and I really ate this word and, and wrestled with it and read it on a, a regular basis and, and allowed it to be the guiding light, as it says in, in Proverbs, thy word is a light unto thy feet and a lamp unto thy life. If it truly was that and showed me the way, I, I would think that, that the church and, and Christians would be a lot different. You know why they're not? Why we're not? Because we don't actually read this. We're biblically illiterate. Ooh, I'm going to offend some people now. We're biblically illiterate, and it's not changing our lives. And the world says things like this. That's what a Christian looks like? That's what your Bible says? I don't want any of that. And we don't even know what the Bible really says. So why aren't our lives affected? Sin. Bottom line, sin. I like my sin. You like your sin. Therefore, when we look and read this, it offends our sin, so we don't like to read it. And, and, and what I'm asking us as a church is, is let's, let's take some time and get offended. Let, let God offend your sin. Because the beauty of God offending your sin is this. He brings in grace. You know what grace allows me to do? It allows me to walk with my head high. Grace allows me to walk out of this place, to walk out of my office in the morning after I pray and read. It allows me to walk in this, this place called earth with, with my head high, knowing what Jesus did for me, not because of anything I've done, but because of God's love for me and the blood of Jesus that's washed across my sin. That's what this word allows me to do. Gosh, I got a whole nother thing I don't even have time to get into. I want, but I, I, I want to I touch one thing. I want to touch the cultural fight we're in. Here's what, what scares me about our culture and Christians. We don't believe we're in a fight. 
we don't believe that there's a real fight going on. I was just talking to my neighbor who's, who's a, a, a Christian. I don't know how we got on the subject, but he said, he said that very thing. Like, why doesn't anybody believe that there's an enemy that wants to destroy us? Why, why, what's, why do we have difficulty with good and bad and, and the, the contrast and, and, and that there's, the Bible says that he, he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And, but then on the other side, we have God who says, I come to bring life and give it to you abundantly. And we have this big cultural fight going on. And we don't have Christians who can respond because there's so much, for lack of a better word, it's just wishy-washy and non-understanding of the word of God that we just don't step into the middle of the battle. And by virtue of not stepping into the fight, someone wins. But it's not Jesus. Now, I'll finish with this story. Does anybody know what New York Senate Bill S-2796 is? I'm going to offend. My wife said this. She says, I have a, a great gift. She says, I have a gift when I preach. It's the gift of thinning of thinning the crowd. She says, when you preach, you tend to thin crowds. And you're, 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 she's like, you have this gift of running people off. You know, I've been wrestling all week and praying about this because I am certain that I'm going to offend some people. Okay. And I may thin the crowd a little bit. When Chris was, how old were you? 20 21 years old, and we've had this conversation, so I'm not throwing anything out that nobody knows. At 21 years old, a cultural Christian, is that what, how you would define it? Well, you were sleeping with your boyfriend, so he must have been a cultural Christian. <laughs> oh, we're getting real here. Oh, oh, Jack didn't know. Okay. Sorry, Jack. A cultural Christian. Uh, same. It goes both ways. Do we need to edit that part? Okay. Good. All right. Um, um, and Oliver, and he knows this too, Mickey. Um, my wife got pregnant and had an abortion. Um, sitting on this side of this debate and this whole thing, we, we weep because we have a relationship with Jesus. Because there's, there's this uh, bit of an understanding of God's word that says that it is a human life, that says do not murder, that, that says it in Psalm 139, Jesus knew you before you, or God knew you before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, and, and, and I can go scripture, I have scripture after scripture that talks about, you know, uh, that, that in, in Mary's womb, you know, Jesus leapt, or and it, John leapt, and, and it, it just, all these scriptures that talk about, you know, life happens at this conception of this side of it, it's so easy for us to sit and weep and go, oh, God, that grieves God's heart. Is that Because we're fully engaged in who Jesus is and what he did for us and the grace he gives us. On the other side of it are all these, these people that don't know Jesus, that don't know God, that don't know his word. That don't, if you don't believe Jesus is who he says he is and God is who he says he is, then how, how can it, anything be right or wrong? And when does life start? When does it end? When should it end? And who should end it? All of these questions are, are questions that 
up to you. Because there's no definitive truth on them. It's relativism. Whatever's real to you, whatever you think is right. And on this side of the, of the battle, we can sit as Christians and go, oh, it's wrong, it's wrong. Senate Bill S2796, and abortion till the end and the last month right before birth is wrong. And I believe it is, but on this side, it's easy. On the other side, it's not. When you're a woman facing decisions with no money, an abusive spouse, no place to live, my rights, my... On the other side of apart from Jesus, there's 5,000 reasons that make it right to you. And we as a church just get up and we go, ah, Bill, S2796 is just wrong. And it is. But we forget about this Jesus that some 2,000 years ago came and died on the cross for this woman and for me. And therefore, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's still pain. See, when, when I, I don't know this word of God, how can I know what is right or wrong? How can I stand and, 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 and you know, this, you know the people who don't know the word of God? The ones that say that, that, that you're going to hell. They have the signs and they say you're going to hell. You know who doesn't know the word of God? The ones who are yelling at those who are walking into abortion clinics. You know who doesn't know the word of God? Those who stand up and say absolutely asinine things to people who are in sin. Because Jesus never did. He confronted him with love and authority. And every time he said, now go and sin no more. But he never said, go and sin more until they experienced his love and who he was. That's the Jesus of this Bible. And, and I'm, I'm sickened by the fact that there was a bill passed in the state of New York and they're cheering and singing. That takes the lives of infants. But God is sickened by the religious right that just is so dogmatic and angry. And, and let me tell you, I was, I, was, I was angry. In fact, the rest of this message, oh, gosh, I'm going a little long. I don't care. Where are you guys going to go? Leave in the middle of this? Um, <laughs> I guess you could. <laughs> You could. There is cake out there. <laughs> Therefore, there's no condemnation for those of you who walk out right now. Um, I, as I'm writing, there's anger, and, and I'm angry. And two, I mean, literally, here's God's grace. Let me tell you God's grace. I, like, we're sitting in worship. I'm like, oh, Chris, I'm a little worried because this is, can I, can I talk about your experience in abortion? She's like, thank God. She's like, yeah, but you know, you need to talk about God's mercy and grace and love. My whole thing was really just like, ah, these, these, I was just, uh, who can we fight? And God just grabbed a hold of me through this woman. Said, no, 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 no. It's about Jesus' love. And on this side of it, 
We're like, we're unified, we're one, we're, we believe the same, we're, we're, it breaks our heart and tears can be shed. But on the other side, that woman who doesn't know Jesus is scared to death and needs an answer. And what scares me to death is the church doesn't know the answer. The reason the church doesn't know the answer because they don't know what God's speaking. Oh God, I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to be in that place. I want to know what you're saying. So that when I run into that woman or that couple or whoever it might be that has no choice in their mind, I have the words of truth. I can bring love. I can bring compassion. I can bring grace. And I can bring mercy. My prayer for us in this next 30 days is that as you dive into this word and get an understanding of the structure and what it's all about, that you'll be that person that brings grace and mercy and truth. You can say, go sin no more, because Jesus did, and be convicted and strong in that. But they have to see Jesus' love. That's what this word says. That's why I love this words of God. That's why I'm in love with Jesus. Because of who he is. Not because of all the laws and all that go with it. So as you pray during these next several weeks and, and just ask God to unlock his word to you. Just say, God, speak to me. But God, don't let me be like the Pharisees. Don't let me be, let me, let me have your love and compassion for others so that others might know you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time today. God, I thank you for your word, God. And uh, Lord, there's, there's so much there, Father God. But Lord, I pray that we would never be a people who just, just recite words because they're on paper. But God, that we would be people whose hearts are changed. We'd be men and women whose, whose souls are different because we have literally feasted on the truth. The truth in your scriptures. God, as we leave here today, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us, Father. And let us be those who fall in love with your grace and you and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pacific Point Podcast. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you are encouraged today.